0: You're listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with practitioners, experts, and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. Today, we wrap up our conversation with Dr. Ehab Sharawi and Dr. David Cook of One Health by discussing the differences of the big V and the little v in value-based care and the positive impact of direct collaboration between the individual, the primary care provider, and the specialist.
1: Well, good afternoon, gentlemen, and welcome to the Move to Value podcast. We're back for episode number three this mm-hmm. afternoon. It's good to have you. Good to be here. Um, well, listen, we've really not talked that much about value-based care uh, in our time together, so I'd like to start this session off with a question framed around uh, some of the things I've heard you all say over the last year or so, and oftentimes when we talk about value and value-based care, I've heard you say there's value with a big V and value with a little V, and Dr. Shirawi, you want to take that and tell us what you mean by that?
2: Sure. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to leave the big V little V to the expert over there across from me, Dr. Cook. Uh, Nobody articulates it better than he does, but I'll just start, I think, with some kind of real life analogies that, because the word value means something different to everybody. And within healthcare, I think it means something different. When you talk about value, if you're talking about from a health system lens, it's something different than it is from a payer lens, than it is from a physician provider lens, it's from a consumer lens you know, those, those are the kind of things. So just think of an analogy of, you know, folks that are lucky enough to be able to afford going to, let's say a, a two star Michelin star restaurant, you know, where you're going to go in and you know, it's going to be costly. Okay. Let's just say it's $300 a a head to go there. But when you get in there and let's just say that's the best food I've ever eaten, you know, in my whole life, I've never tasted something like that. And somebody said, was that good value for you? You're going to say, yeah, it was fantastic. It was great value because you were so happy with the quality and all that. And the cost was, was, was not the factors mitigated by not mitigated, right. but, but overcome by, uh, the fantastic experience that you had. Then if you flip it to the other side and you say, listen, you know, I got a family of four and I'm on a fixed budget and, you know, I want to go out and have a nice meal. So I'm going to go to a restaurant where the cost is very reasonable. I can afford it. And Oh, by the way, the food was good. You know, I did knock my socks off, but it was good. And we enjoyed ourselves. I had a good time. That would be defined as value. And those are two different experiences, but both of them have satisfaction. What, what I always think in healthcare is, is for so many people, that situation is just upside down. And in 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 and really when we talk about value in healthcare, we gotta figure out how to r- make it right for everybody so that everybody gets value in that regard. I, I want to get let David expound on that. Um, yeah, completely
3: agree with that asharae. I mean that what a great anecdotal or, or model to look at. Because it's very hard to understand value in healthcare. Except, I, I would say this. I heard Don Berwick say this one time a long time ago, and I'll start my conversation of the big V and the little V with this: is that there really is no value in healthcare delivery? There's only value in health. Okay. Right. You, you're not thinking about, hey, I love taking my car to the shop and getting it worked all the time. No, what you like is your car running, running, <laughs> running really well for a long time. Right. And so, when we talk about the Big V, Dr. Shrauie and I've always said, this is what really matters: it's health, it's it's longevity. I'm going to say this again: longevity. It's the human experience. It's quality of life, enjoyment of life, doing the things you like to do, feeling safe in your healthcare journey. Um, it really experiencing something that's unique in your healthcare journey. The third piece is reduced suffering, and I'm going to use this term: reduced suffering both mentally and emotionally, physically, and financially. financially, okay? That's big V, okay? That's value. And, and it really, to me, is something that no one addresses head-on. In modern primary care, One Health, um, our modern primary care specialty program, it really is going to hit that head-on. The little V is what we've all got, I believe, si- sidetracked on over the past decade, decade and a half. Since the ACA, American, um, the, 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 the Affordable Care, affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. came out, um, often referred to as Obamacare, uh, it was really initially built to do the things I'm talking about. But by the time it reached the American public, it was very, very different. And so we had these little V components that we thought, okay, this is value. Let me play in the value world, which is a delta between what things should cost and how much we spend, actually. Okay? Now, that's different than what I just said, right? Yes. That's very different. But we've just spent billions of dollars for, for a decade and a half on that one thing. What things should cost and, and how much we will spend on that. Now, think about this. What things should cost, we're basing it on the Titanic. It's going down. So we're we're moving those deck chairs around, getting into that Delta, unfortunately, we've not done the things to build a different ship. And, and the, so the little V, which is value-based contracts, Medicare Advantage being one of the most prominent you hear about, um, now Medicare with the REACH program and others, MSSP work, all with really good intentions but in an environment where the patient is not put in the middle of the room the boardroom especially, with great science, compassion, uh, the desire to reduce suffering, and, and put around the patient and the ego and the wallet put outside, things happen, right? And what's happened over the past, let's say, 15 years when it comes to the little V in value, is we, we, we've not moved the needle one bit, okay? We're on a trajectory to spend, what is it, $7.1 trillion by 30 or $2 trillion by 31, 2031. That's huge. Yeah. 20% of Americans still don't have health care coverage. And 40% of Americans, I believe that's the number, still suffer financially from health care delivery. The leading cause of bankruptcies, right? Yes. No one speaks of this. Personal bankruptcy. So what happened over the past 15 years? Well, venture capital came in, in, in PE, with a design set on not the big V, the little V. And they, they were able to extract millions and millions and millions of dollars out of the system playing in the Delta, okay, between what things were should costing... cost and
1: what they do cost. And, yeah,
3: what they, or, and yeah. what they do cost, what they should cost and what they do cost. And we can, we can debate about what the should be uh, cost and how we change that. Well... What they did is instead of taking that money off and reinvesting it into a system of a different ship, they took that money to Wall Street. Right. They took that money to individuals, and they aggregated that wealth. They took that money in places that really made no sense to the system to take the money, leaving the system very barren for resources to, to build upon itself. The other thing they did is they didn't integrate well with other players. Right. With health systems, with payers, with co- corporations, with government, with with big business, with small business, with the individual. And, and they left everybody very confused. Individual deductibles are up. Uh, individual co-pays are up. Businesses are spending more for health care every year. Um, so when you play in that little V game, there's a lot of winners. And the one thing we, we learned for sure, and, and it's been our mission at One Health, is the for all mission was never, ever front and center, okay? Millions of dollars were made on small numbers of Medicare lives, right? okay? Not even enough Medicare lives to make a difference for all of the nation. Uh, Subset of Medicaid lives, subsets of commercial lives. Um, We created industries around direct primary care, around direct to employer that really extracted um, money, but didn't produce longevity, improve human experience, or reduction in suffering or cost. So we've put forward this whole mission around the Big V, and what we find is that if we can be very steadfast with with our pillars of what we believe we have to maintain and build a modern primary care around the Big V, we're not only going to be sustainable, we're going to be scalable, and we're going to be the solution for the country because primary care itself is not expensive it's not the expensive component of healthcare but when it's broken healthcare becomes very expensive
1: okay thank you uh Dr. Cook that was a, a great answer and uh what I wanted to do is kind of uh build on that a little bit and say tell us a little bit Dr. Sharawi if you want to take this question tell us about your relationship to advocate and uh and to chess and how you are utilizing sort of little V tools to create big V for your patients and to create provider wellness and to drive this modern primary care platform, which I think we all agree is the way to ultimately create the big V value and uh, drive down costs, improve quality and at, create longevity.
2: Now I appreciate that. Uh, that question, <clears throat> you know, what, what was just described is in the industry of healthcare is a lot of what I call tribalism. Tribalism means taking certain segments of populations and, and making a business out of it. But again, has it translated into anything that's helped healthcare in this country? We haven't seen it. Okay, we haven't seen it. The other thing is to create what I think are always not the best way to do things. That is to create transactional relationships in the healthcare space. So if you think about Provider to payer—that's transactional. Probably about the most example of a transactional relationship. Oftentimes between health system and provider, health system and patient, other services that are outside—all of them are these transactional relationships. Where what we felt was extremely important was to partner. Okay, and I, I say it in a, in a way that 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 I hope makes sense is that. That, that everybody should, part, all collaborators in the healthcare space should partner together towards common purpose. And so when we were in a, other, in a health system before in what we were doing and felt like, look, we needed the autonomy to come out to be able to do the, all the things that we're talking about now, it hadn't, it never could be in a vacuum. It always had to be with developing a partnership. So our partnership with Advocate is just that. It's really a true partnership. So we've been able to build this partnership with a big giant health system, in fact, I think, I don't want to misquote it, but they might be the fifth largest in the United States, um, you know, uh, today, to be disruptive in that environment. By the way, welcomed by the big health system to have that disruption so that we can actually accomplish the things that Dr. Cook had just described and talked about. We were lucky enough uh, in this journey to, to get together with you guys, you know, at Chess, who I would say if we looked at our mission statements, I think they're pretty... Comparable, Very comparable. Um, and actually look at the history of how chess was created. You know, we could spend time talking about that, but we very, very common, almost like parallel universes and paths. So already we were aligned. Right. And, and so kind of the, 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 the big V and the little V, the big V is the critical. It's the thing you have to do. If we're going to take a model that we, I think can say comfortably, and we're not the only ones saying it is on an unsustainable path. And m- course correct it, you know, build a new ship, you know, plug the hole in the Titanic, whatever analogy we want to use, so that we can actually move forward. We we, we do have to have aligned incentives and do the little V work, the stuff that's necessary, the nuts right. and the bolts and the things that are necessary to do that, but all aligned and collaborated together towards common purpose. And the common purpose, at the end of the day, we we have to bring very high quality care. We have to do that. And I think there's a lot of way to measure that. But to sustain healthcare in this country, we have to reduce the total cost of care. We have to take it from a current four and a half or whatever it is, trillion, it's calculating upwards by the day. And we got to pull out 25, 30% of that cost um, to do that. So those are the things that, that, that the little v should be focused on, not trying to take advantage of a delta in a segmented population right. or those type of things like that. And, and, and that's the exciting work that we have ahead of us with a partnership with the fifth largest healthcare system in the country, a robust value-based care delivery, um, company in chess. And then we're going to bring others to bear. Okay. That we'd love to talk about at some point too. Okay. To do that.
1: Well, if you're going to be successful in the, um, big V and the little V arenas, um, you're going to, uh, we've talked about provider wellness. You're going to need providers who, um, Enjoy what they're doing, um, enjoy interacting with their patients, but you're also going to need patients who are informed, engaged, um, empowered to participate in their care. Talk to us a little bit about how you're addressing patient engagement, patient empowerment, um, however you would like to describe it. Who wants to take that one? Dr. Cook.
3: I'll start. And great question. And it's something that. Has always been perplexing to me is how do I get my patients more engaged in their own care because there's so much we can bring to them that they have to then do themselves and and I think one of the things that we've not been good in American healthcare and a lot of people have moved away from Western care is that it's all about you know a pill to cure to cut to cure yep. and so many individuals are looking for something else so what we need to do is meet individuals where they are. Um, and help them understand where they should be. And, and one of those things, I believe, is that relationship, that advocacy, that trust. I've seen trust eroded in healthcare more than I've ever seen it before, between individuals, I like to use the term probably individual better than patient, and their physician, their their, their provider. So how do we bring that back? Well, that 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 trust comes from being able to develop that authentic relationship, that authentic connectivity to the individual. To be able to be there for them, not only on their acute events, but on the longitudinal events. Um, And then giving them tools and resources that they can utilize that then makes them better at all things. Longevity, the experience they're living, and reducing their cost. Most, most tools, if they evolve from just the patient side, they're great for patients. There's some wonderful tools, but often are disconnected from the tools that, that the, primary care. the primary care doctor has. If the primary care doctor the specialist has a tool, sometimes it's a tool that they just use in isolation. So one of the things we're trying to do is several. One is to educate our patients better, to create cohorts where patients work and operate together that have the same illness um, so that they can learn and grow, is three, introduce more lifestyle medicine to patients, diet, exercise, stress reduction, etc. I think the fourth is if there's going to be digital tools or home-based tools like monitoring of blood pressure, etc., do it in a way that there's guardrails around it and guidelines that really help them become better at doing it, not afraid to do it, and to give them immediate feedback with their provider so that they're working together in that process. And if things need to escalate, they escalate. So, I think the very first thing to answer that question is you've got to look at that patient as someone who needs to have that given to them. And, and I say that sort of off the cuff, but there's a lot of individual physicians and providers who, who just aren't in that ilk to say, hey, the patient deserves to have their own advocacy, okay? Um, I see some doctors frustrated when someone brings a, a an internet <laughs> article in. I usually love that because it not, not only does it challenge me, it gives me an opportunity then to engage the right. patient where they are. Right. Um, but I think if we have the time, the ability, the tools to do that, and it comes from that primary care perspective, it really will make a difference. And we got to listen to our patients and be willing to listen to them because they'll tell us more about themselves than will the chart.
1: Well, I think you all are <clears throat> trying to get your, your providers off the treadmill as well, uh, based on other conversations that we've had, um, together. And I think once they're off the treadmill of just having to crank out a certain number of people every day, you get, you get out of that. I've got 10 minutes, 15 minute mindset. Then you can, um, engage patients. You can spend more time educating. You can pick up the article and go, that's interesting. Let's talk about this. Right. I'm glad you brought this in because at least they're, looking for answers and what better opportunity for you to begin to provide those answers rather than exactly a Google search um, as a source of answers. So one other thing I wanted to go back to for just a moment is you've, as you've talked about modern primary care and how you manage the patient's care journey, sort of their experience is a traverse this very complex and complicated health system that quite frankly You know, I I think about my my mom is 82. And if she didn't have a son as a physician, I don't know how she would navigate it. I mean, I get constantly get pictures of EOBs and bills and should I pay this? And do I not pay this? And what about my medicine? And there's just so many questions that I end up helping her answer. And if you don't have a family member in healthcare, that's really challenging. But going back to your you must have or either are building, you have or are building strong relationships with your referrals out to specialties, be that orthopedics, cardiology, other areas where we know it's almost impossible to get patients in like rheumatology and endocrinology. Can you tell us a little bit about how you go about building those relationships so that are you trying to create like in-office video consults or getting patients seen in person, how how are you addressing the need to have a tight relationship with your specialty partners? Oh.
2: So, so, Dr. Lynn, I would say all of the above. You know, all of the above. And and, and I'll start by kind of leaning in on what you said earlier about your mom's care. You know, uh, I would consider myself an educated uh, person driving through healthcare, and uh, you know, for many many reasons, I have to access healthcare more than most. And I think to myself all the time, "What if I was not didn't have the knowledge that I have there's not a chance okay there's right. not a chance that folks can navigate this confusing so it's going to take a village okay to figure out how do we create simplicity, but boy, we should start okay so so one thing we do and we and we kind of break the the what I would say is the traditional thoughts um about the relationship between primary care and specialists specialists equally want to do the right thing of what primary care does. We interact with independent uh, specialists, with specialists within the advocate arena, all of them, to a T. All of them say, I want to figure out how to navigate the system better, too, to be able to do that. It's multi-pronged, okay? It's about education, so bi-directional education, so that referrals are the appropriate referrals. It's about what we had talked about in earlier, earlier times about how do you drive the care of the patient starting from modern primary care and I call it sometimes the 80-20 rule, where maybe in some fields of specialists, 80% of the care could be taken care of through just a collaborative conversation, opening up those avenues. And then it's that real 20% that really needs to get into the hands of the of the specialist. Well, we should just be really good at that. We should figure out how to mitigate all the barriers that are there. So we do that every day. So every day our team and, and us, we're, we're engaging with specialists to break the barriers. The barriers are, are traditional barriers that, believe it or not, I think the thought process was good. Hey, let's have an EMR that can take a referral and electronically send it and then close the loop. The problem is it's created a monster that, that, that quite frankly, in some, some of these models, it's really unsustainable. So what we're saying is, look, let's think differently now. Let's not let the rate limiting step be the technology, because that tends right. to be a, a, an immediate primary barrier well, we got to figure it out through this technology. And, and then you find these walls that you hit and you can't do it.
1: Or we're, black holes where it all black disappears. Holes where, that's
2: it, where it all disappears. We're blowing that up completely. So we're engaging with all the specialists. And the first thing we're talking about is how can we drive the right referral to you? How can we create relationships? We used to have these relationships when all of us were hanging out in the hospitals and things like that. We could just have these conversations, do that. So how do we create relationships that allow us to do the best for the patient that might not mean traveling in a car to your office. It might've just been a conversation and then whatever the spectrum is from there on. And then number three, how do we get that patient or or the individual into your clinic when they need to be gotten into at the right time with the right communication at the right place? Um, And I will say, I'm excited that once we've decided to not let technology be the barrier, we've already started to make a difference um, in that. But but I do want to, kind of break the paradigm of thought that there's this kind of disconnect between what the primary care needs and what the specialist wants or wants to do. That's, that's, a good point. that's really yeah. not true. That's really right. not true. And I, and I would say that's across the board of the conversation. Yeah. So we really got to take that subject and run with it. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to add one more last thing. We do need to leverage technology in this way. We need to be able to create easier access for that conversation through technology means. And we're also talking about that. You know, the yeah. partnerships, looking at those kind of things to do that. So
1: well, when you when you end up um, building the perfect modern primary care platform, then you can build the perfect modern specialist platform.
2: That's right. right.
1: <laughs> well, um, Dr. Cook, Dr. Shirawi, I'll ask you a question. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you?
3: No, but I, I will say one thing. I mean, I'm like Dr. Shirawi, I could speak. On this these topics forever, but one I appreciate that, Erlena, what you and Chess are doing to have the courage during a time in healthcare to make a difference in a way that I think is important. And we find ourselves partnering with you and others that are, are willing to do that. And that does take a lot of courage. It's easy to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: And it's easy to be dissuaded by some of the, the difficulties out there because there are a lot. Yeah. But I would say, what you're doing at Chess, what you're doing through this podcast, what, y- you know, you guys are doing. It's just good to be partners with with groups like well, yourself. Well, the balance
1: mutual, and uh, I said it early on, but every time we talk, I get re-inspired by the work you all are doing and how committed you are to to good patient care and just making sure that patients have access to high-quality care. So it's a pleasure. So thank you That's both. It's thank been you. great being yeah. with you, and I uh, look forward to connecting again soon.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions, where our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. As always, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the resources in the show notes. If you are interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across social media and leave a rating and review. See you next time.